are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The philosophy of artificial intelligence attempts to answer such questions as, can a machine act intelligently? Can it solve any problem that a person would solve by thinking. Can a machine have a mind, mental states, and consciousness in the same sense humans do? Can it feel? Are human intelligence and machine intelligence the same? Is the human brain essentially a computer? These three questions reflect the divergent interests of artificial intelligence researchers, philosophers, and cognitive scientists, respectfully. The answers to these questions depend on how one defines intelligence or consciousness and exactly which machines are under discussion. Important propositions in the philosophy of artificial intelligence include Turing's polite convention. If a machine acts as intelligently as a human being, then it is as intelligent as a human being. The Dartmouth Proposal. Every aspect of learning, or any other feature of intelligence, can be so precisely described that a machine can be made to simulate it. Newell and Simon's Physical Symbol Systems Hypothesis. A physical symbol system 
has the necessary and sufficient means of general intelligent action. Cyril's strong artificial intelligence hypothesis. The approximately programmed computer with the right inputs and outputs would thereby have a mind in exactly the same sense human beings have minds. And then Hobbes' mechanism. Reason is nothing but reckoning. Can a machine display general intelligence? Is it possible to create a machine that can solve all the problems humans solve using their intelligence? This is the question that AI researchers are most interested in answering. It defines the scope of what machines will be able to do in the future and guides the direction of AI research. It only concerns the behavior of machines and ignores the issues of interest to psychologists, cognitive scientists, and philosophers. To answer this question, it does not matter whether a machine is really thinking as a person thinks or is it just acting like it's thinking? The basic position of most artificial intelligence research is summed up in this statement, which appeared in the proposal for the Dartmouth Conference in 1956. Every aspect of learning or any other feature of intelligence can be so precisely described that a machine can be made to simulate it. Arguments against the basic premise must show that building a working IA system is impossible because there is some practical limit to the abilities of computers or that there is some special quality of the human mind that is necessary for thinking and yet cannot be duplicated by a machine or by the methods of current AI research. Arguments in favor of the basic premise must show that such a system is possible. The first step to answering this question is to clearly define intelligence. The Turing Test. Alan Turing, in his famous and seminal 1950 paper, reduced the problem of defining intelligence to a simple question about conversation. He suggested that if a machine can answer any question put to it, using the same words that an ordinary person would, then we may call that machine intelligent. A modern version 
of his experimental design would use an online chat room where one of the participants is a real person and one of the participants is a computer program. The program passes the test if no one can tell which of the two participants is human. Turing notes that no one, except philosophers, ever asks the question, can people think? He writes, instead of arguing continually over this point, it is unusual to have a polite convention that everyone thinks. Turing's test extends this polite convention to machines. If a machine acts as intelligently as a human being, then it is as intelligent as a human being. One criticism of the Turing test is that it is explicitly anthropomorphic. If our ultimate goal is to create machines that are more intelligent than people, why should we insist that our machines must closely resemble people? Russell and Norvig write that aeronautical engineering texts do not define the goal of their field as making machines that fly so exactly like pigeons that they can fool pigeons. Recent AI research defines intelligence in terms of intelligent agents. An agent is something which perceives and acts in the environment. A performance measure divine defines what counts as success for the agent. If an agent acts so maximize the expected value of a performance measure based on past experience and knowledge then it is intelligent. Definitions like this one try to capture the essence of intelligence. They have the advantage that, unlike the Turing test, they do not also test for human traits that we may not want to consider intelligent, like the ability to be insulted or the temptation to lie. They do have the disadvantage that they fail to make the common sense differentiation between things that think and things that do not. By this definition, even a thermostat has a rudimentary intelligence in consciousness. Arguments that the machine can display general intelligence 
come from all sides. First is that the brain can be simulated. Herbert Dreyfus describes this argument as claiming that if the nervous system obeys the laws of physics and chemistry, which we have every reason to suppose it does, then we ought to be able to reproduce the behavior of the nervous system with some physical device. This argument, first introduced as early as 1943 and vividly described by Hans Moravec in 1988, is now associated with futurist Ray Kurzweil, who estimates that computer power will be sufficient for a complete brain simulation by the year 2029. A non-real-time simulation of a thalmocortical model that has the size of the human brain was performed in 2005 and it took 50 days to simulate one second of brain dynamics on a cluster of 27 processors. Few disagree that a brain simulation is possible in theory. Even critics of artificial intelligence, such as Hubert Dreyfus and John Cyril. However, Cyril points out that, in principle, anything can be simulated by a computer, thus bringing the definition to its breaking point leads to the conclusion that any process at all can technically be considered computation. What we want to know is what distinguishes the mind from thermostats and livers, he writes, thus merely mimicking the functioning of a brain would itself be an admission of ignorance regarding the functioning of intelligence and the nature of the mind. In 1963, Alan Newell and Herbert A. Simon proposed that symbol manipulation was the essence of both human and machine intelligence. They wrote, A physical symbol system has the necessary and sufficient means of general intelligent action. This claim is very strong. It implies both that human thinking is a kind of symbol manipulation 
because a symbol system is necessary for intelligence and that machines can be intelligent because a symbol system is sufficient for intelligence. Another version of this position was described as the psychological assumption. The mind can be viewed as a device operating on bits of information according to formal rules. A distinction is usually made between the kind of high-level symbols that directly correspond with objects in the world, such as a dog and a tail, and the more complex symbols that are present in a machine, like a neural network. Those arguments show that human thinking does not consist solely of high-level symbol manipulation. They do not show that artificial intelligence is impossible, only that more than symbol processing is required. In 1931, Kurt Gödel proved that it was always possible to create statements that a formal system, such as a high-level symbol manipulation program, could not prove. A human being, however, can, with some thought, see the truth of these Gödel statements. This proved to philosopher John Lucas that human reason would always be superior to machines. He wrote, Goodell's theorem seems to me to prove that mechanism is false, that is, that minds cannot be explained as machines. Roger Penrose expanded on this argument in his 1989 book, The Emperor's New Mind, where he speculated that quantum mechanical processes inside individual neurons give humans the special advantage over machines. Douglas Hofstadter, in his Pulsar Prize-winning book, Goodell Escher Bach, An Internal Golden Braid, explains that these Goodell statements always refer to the system itself, similar to the way the Epimenides paradox uses statements that refer to themselves such as, this statement is false, or 
I am lying. But of course, the Epimendes paradox applies to anything that makes statements, whether they are machines or humans, even Lucas himself. Consider this phrase, Lucas can't assert the truth of this statement. This statement is true, but cannot be asserted by Lucas. This shows that Lucas himself is subject to the same limits that he describes for machines, as are all people, and so Lucas's argument is pointless. Further, Russell and Norvig noted that Goodell's argument only applies to what can be theoretically proved, given an infinite amount of memory and time. In practice, real machines, including humans, have finite resources and will have difficulty proving many theorems. It is not necessary to prove everything in order to be intelligent. Herbert Dreyfus argued that human intelligence and expertise depend primarily on unconscious instincts rather than conscious symbolic manipulation and argued that these unconscious skills would never be captured in formal rules. Dreyfus's argument has been anticipated by Turing in his 1950 paper, Computing Machinery and Intelligence, where he had classified this as the argument from the informality of behavior. Turing argued in response that just because we do not know the rules that govern a complex behavior, this does not mean that no such rules exist. He wrote, we cannot so easily convince ourselves of the absence of complete laws of behavior. The only way we know of for finding such laws is scientific observation, and we certainly know of no circumstance under which we could say we have searched enough. There are no such laws. Russell and Norvig point out that in the years since Dreyfus published his critique, Progress has been made towards discovering the rules that govern unconscious reasoning. The situated movement in robotics research attempts to capture our unconscious skills at perception and attention. 
computational intelligence paradigms such as neural nets, evolutionary algorithms, and so on are mostly directed at simulated unconscious reasoning and learning. Research into common sense knowledge has focused on reproducing the background or context of knowledge. In fact, AI research in general has moved away from high-level symbol manipulation or GoFi toward new models that are intended to capture more of our unconscious reasoning. Historians have wrote that time has proven the accuracy and the perceptiveness of some of Dreyfus's comments. He had formulated them less aggressively. Constructive actions they suggested might have been taken much earlier. Can a machine have a mind, consciousness, and mental states? This is a philosophical question related to the problem of other minds and the hard problem of consciousness. The question revolves around a position divined by John Cyril as strong AI. A physical symbol system can have a mind and mental states. Cyril distinguished this position from what he calls weak AI. A physical symbol system can act intelligently. Cyril introduced the terms to isolate strong AI from weak AI so he could focus on what he thought was the more interesting and debatable issue. Cyril argued that even if we assume that we had a computer program that acted exactly like a human mind, there would still be a difficult philosophical question that needed to be answered. Neither of Cyril's two positions are of great concern to IA research, since they do not directly answer the question, can a machine display general intelligence? Unless it can also be shown that consciousness is necessary for intelligence. There are a few researchers who believe that consciousness is an essential element in intelligence. Although their definition of consciousness strays very close to intelligence. Turing wrote, I do not wish to give the impression that I think there is no mystery about consciousness, but I 
do not think these mysteries necessarily need to be solved before we can answer the question of whether machines can think. Russell and Norvig agree. Most AI researchers take the wake AI hypothesis for granted and don't care about the strong AI hypothesis. Before we can answer this question, we must be clear what we mean by minds, mental states, and consciousness. The words mind and consciousness are used by different communities in different ways. Some New Age thinkers, for example, use the word consciousness to describe something similar to Bergson's Alain Vital, an invisible energetic fluid that permeates life and especially the mind. Science fiction writers use the word to describe some essential property that makes us human. A machine or alien that is conscious will be presented as fully human character with intelligence, desire, will, insight, pride, and so on. Science fiction writers also use the words sentient, sapience, self-awareness to describe the essential human property of consciousness. For others, the word mind or consciousness are used as a kind of secular synonym for the human soul. For philosophers, neuroscientists, and cognitive scientists, the words are used in a way that is both more precise and more mundane. They refer to the familiar, everyday experience of having a thought in your head, like a perception, a dream, an intention, or a plan and to the way we know something, or mean something, or understand something. It is not hard to give a common sense definition of consciousness, observes philosopher John Cyril. What is mysterious and fascinating is not so much what is, but how it is. How does a lump of fatty tissue and electricity give rise to this familiar experience of perceiving, meaning, or thinking? Philosophers call this the hard problem of consciousness. It is the latest version of a classic problem in philosophy of the mind called the mind-body problem.
A related problem is the problem of meaning or understanding, which philosophers call intentionality. What is the connection between our thoughts and what we are thinking about? Objects and situations out in the world. A third issue is the problem of experience. If two people see the same thing, do they have the same experience? Or are there things inside their head that can be different from person to person? Neurobiologists believe all these problems will be solved as we begin to identify the neural correlates of consciousness. The actual relationship between the machinery in our heads and its collective properties, such as the mind, experience, and understanding. Some of the harshest critics of artificial intelligence agree that the brain is just a machine and that consciousness and intelligence are the results of physical processes in the brain. The difficult philosophical question is this. Can a computer program running on a digital machine that shuffles the binary digits of 0 and 1 duplicate the ability of the neurons to create minds with mental states and ultimately the experience of consciousness. John Cyril asks us to consider a thought experiment. Suppose we have a written a computer program that passes the Turing test and demonstrates general intelligent action. Suppose specifically that the program can converse in fluent Chinese. Write the program on a 3x5 card and give them to an ordinary person who does not speak Chinese. Lock the person into the room and have him follow the instructions on the card. He will copy out Chinese characters and pass them in and out of the room through a slot. From the outside, it will appear that a, the Chinese room contains a fully intelligent person who speaks Chinese. The question is this, is there anyone or anything in the room that understands Chinese? That is, is there anything that has the mental state of understanding or which has consciousness awareness of what is being discussed in Chinese. The man is clearly not aware. The room cannot be aware. The cards certainly are not aware. Cyril concluded that the Chinese room or any other physical symbol system cannot have a mind. 
Cyril goes on to argue that actual mental states and consciousness require actual physical chemical properties of actual human brains. He argues there are special causal properties of brains and neurons that give rise to minds. In his words, brains cause minds. Gottfried Leibniz made essentially the same argument in Searle in 1714, using the thought experiment of expanding the sprain until it was the size of a mill. In 1974, Lawrence Davis imagined duplicating the brain using telephone lines and offices staffed by people. And in 1978, Ned Block envisioned the entire population of China involved in such a brain simulation. This thought experiment is called the Chinese Nation or the Chinese Gym. Ned Block also proposed his blockhead argument, which is a version of the Chinese room in which the program has been refactored into a simple set of rules of the form, see this, do that, removing all mystery from the program. Understandably, the Chinese room raised a lot of feathers. Responses to the Chinese room emphasize several different points. The systems reply and the virtual mind reply. This reply argues that the system, including the man, the program, the room, and the cards, is what understands Chinese. Cyril claims that the man in the room is the only thing which could possibly have a mind or understand. But others disagree, arguing that it is possible for there to be two minds in the same physical place. Similar to the way a computer can simultaneously be two machines at once. One physical, like a Macintosh, and one virtual, like a word processor. Speed, power, and complexity replies. Several critics point out that the man in the room would probably take millions of years to respond to a simple question and would require filing cabinets of astronomical proportions. This brings the clarity of Cyril's intention into doubt. The robot reply, To understand, some believe the Chinese room needs eyes and hands. If we could graft a robot to a reasoning program, he wouldn't need a person to provide the meaning anymore. It would come from the physical brain, from the physical world. Brain stimulator reply. What if the program simulates the sequence of nerve firings at the synapses of an actual brain of an actual Chinese speaker? The man in the room would be simulating an actual brain.
This is a variations on the system reply that appears more plausible because the system now clearly operates like a human brain, which strengthens the intuition that there is something besides the man in the room that could understand Chinese. Other minds reply. Several people have noted that Searle's argument is just a version of the problem of other minds applied to machines. Since it is difficult to decide if people are actually thinking, we should not be surprised that it is difficult to answer the same question about machines. A related idea is Searle's causal properties of neurons that are epiphenomenal. They have no effect on the real world. Why would natural selection create them in the first place if they make no difference to behavior? This issue of primary importance to cognitive scientists who study the nature of human thinking and problem solving. The computational theory of mind or computationalism claims that the relationship between mind and brain is similar, if not identical, to the relationship between a running program and a computer. The idea has philosophical roots in Hobbes, who claim reasoning was nothing more than reckoning. Leibniz, who attempted to create a logical calculus of all human ideas. Hume, who thought perception could be reduced to atomic impressions. And even Kant, who analyzed all experience as controlled by formal rules. The latest version is associated with different philosophers in modern times. The question bears on our earlier questions. If the human brain is a kind of computer, then computers can be both intelligent and consciousness, answering both the practical and philosophical questions of AI. In terms of the practical question of AI, can a machine display general intelligence? Some versions of computationalism make the claim that, as Hobbes wrote, reason is nothing more than reckoning. In other words, our intelligence derives from a form of calculation similar to arithmetic. This is the physical symbol system hypothesis discussed above. And it implies that artificial intelligence is possible. In terms of the philosophical question of AI, can a machine have mind, mental states, and consciousness? Most versions of computationalism claim that mental states are just implementations of the right computer programs. Alan Turing noted that there are many arguments of the form, a machine will never do X, or X can be many things such as be kind, resourceful, beautiful, friendly, 
have initiative, have a sense of humor, tell right from wrong, make mistakes, fall in love, enjoy strawberries and cream, make someone fall in love with it, learn from experience, use words properly, be the subject of its own thought, have as much diversity of behavior as man, do something really new. Turek argues that these objections are often based on naive assumptions about the versatility of machines or are disguised forms of the argument from consciousness. Writing a program that exhibits one of these behaviors will not make much of an impression. All these arguments are tangible in the basic premise of AI unless it can be shown that one of these traits is essential for general intelligence. If emotions are defined only in terms their effect on behavior or on how they function inside an organism, then emotions can be viewed as mechanisms that an intelligent agent uses to maximize the utility of its actions. Given this definition of emotion, some scientists believe that robots in general will be quite emotional about being nice people. Fear is a source of urgency. Empathy is a necessary component of good human-computer interaction. Robots will try to please you in an apparently selfless manner because it will get a thrill out of this positive reinforce. You can interpret this as a kind of love. Some say these points is that the emotions are just devices for channeling behavior in a direction beneficial to the survival of one's species. However, emotions can also be defined in terms of their subjective quality, or what it feels like to have an emotion. The question of whether the machine actually feels an emotion, or whether it merely acts as it's feeling an emotion, is the philosophical question. Can a machine be conscious in another form? AE, or artificial emotion is an underlying aspect of the concept of AI that has been generally granted without being seriously examined either philosophically or ontologically. The evolution of sensationism in the animal world is the root of what we call emotion or more nebulously feelings. Without a basis in organic neural sensation, any synthetic artificial android mechanical AI construct will be unable to feel anything or register this foundational aspect of what emotions arise from, sensitivity registered in the mind to change in the environment, heat or cold, wind or stillness, noise or quiet, threatening, touch as opposed 
to tickling. And this list of emotions can go on and on and on. But will a computer ever achieve it? We may never know. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.